All right. Come on, let's give uh, Bishop Russell a good God bless you. Amen. Um, he says he trusts me. But I love him. And I do understand exactly what he means. This is, um, this is one of those kind of conversations that um, you should only have with people that you love, respect, and um, people who you trust. Uh, because it's a, it's a tough uh, conversation to have. So that being said, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you, first of all, for everything that you do. We realize, God, that there is um, a lot of things going on in our world. And God, we realize that every single thing that's happening in our world, you want to be involved in it. So we're intentionally involving you in this area. It's an area of uh, discomfort and an area where we've put on a back burner for some time because of its uh, difficulty. But God, right now, um, this, this apostolic bishop has put it before our ears, our minds, our eyes, like an ear of corn protruding before the mouth of a lazy mule. We are now faced with this conversation. God, we ask that you would lead the conversation into the place where you would have it be so that your church can be the people you would have us be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, today, <clears throat> well, I was told to start with uh, something that was kind of lighthearted. So, uh, so I'll, I'll do that for you guys. Um, so there was this, it was this, this white man this black man. <laughs> See? All right. Now, we got there. So, that being said, <laughs> oh, really, um, it's, a, it's a pleasure uh, being here today um, to, to talk about some, some things that, um, that, you know, is, is of, of major interest, especially uh, among certain circles. Uh, we're talking about race relations, but not just race relations. We're talking about race relations and the church. Yeah. Yeah. See, that, that, that just turns the corner. Like, race relations, that's a pretty big conversation, you know, and we could do the, you know, we could, oh, so many different rabbit holes you could go down. But when you talk about race relations and the church, well, now... You've, you've streamlined things, and, and you can't run the different uh, gamuts. It, it's, it's in our face. And the question when you throw the church um, into the conversation is now you don't have um, any other place to run than, well, than to Jesus. Because the church is his. Yes. And if we are going to call ourselves the church, then it is expected that we are going to do things his way. Wow. That's, you must be a preacher. Because that's, that's basically what we've been taught in all of our preaching classes that <clears throat> the church belongs to Jesus. Right. So if, if you would um, go to the, to the next slide. What, what we have to ask is then who, who is our God? Right? right. right? Who, who is our God? And, um, and if you can answer that question, the next question has to be now, who have you made God, right? So, so um, there, there was, this, uh, there was this, this, this guy, he told me, he did tell me a joke, and it was about a black guy and a white guy. Look, okay, here, well, I'll finish the thing that I, 
started, not, not even intentionally. Um, white guy, black guy, had a conversation about who God was. And they got stuck on what color he was. <laughs> and of course, the white guy thought the God was white. And the black guy was trying to believe that he was black. From all the pictures that the black guy saw, he was white. But in the black guy's mind, he still wanted to believe that God was closer to him. Do you all hear what I'm saying? All right. So then they died, got to heaven. And God comes out to greet them both. And he says, Bonis dias, amigos. <laughs> who is God? Yeah. Yeah. And who have you made him? Because my submission to you is God is bigger than that. So what we have to do is we have to get our minds elevated above whether somebody's pigmentation in their skin is darker or lighter, especially in the church. We've got to get we've got to get beyond it. And there are things that are keeping us you know, keeping us nestled too closely around whether somebody's skin is different from ours or whether somebody's conversation um, or, or, or nomenclature or, God forbid, uh, an accent is different from ours. You know, let alone people who speak different languages altogether. I mean, we've got to get beyond that scope of whether or not these are people of God or not. The big question, next slide, the the big question is, has Jesus dealt with this? Because if we're his church and we're his people, then, and we're supposed to follow his lead, the the big question is, well, did Jesus have to deal with anything like this in his day? And my, my, my submission is, and, and again, we're talking about just this component of racial disharmony, disunity, you know, uh, and discrimination. And the question is, um, did Jesus deal with it? And I would like to say to you, absolutely he did. And I would like to bring to your memory this, this sect of people who were called Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans' plight was such that they were looked down upon by the majority group. They, they believed. They were monotheist, uh, um, monotheistic in their views. You know, they, they observed Passovers. You know, they were a people who were astute in the, uh, in the, in the Torah, and, and they were still ostracized and relegated to a mystical back door called Samaria. Jesus brought this Samaritan group to the forefront of his ministry. And he did it in such a, a unique way. Now, um, the question, remember we used to walk around with these bands and they would say like, um, you know, WWJD. What would yeah. Jesus do? Yeah. So this, this Jesus component on how we react in a Christian environment um, has to be the leading you know, thought. It has to be the leading thing that drives our thinking, that drives our actions, that draw, drives our, our teachings. And the reality is there, is, there is something that we as the church must do. Next slide. There's something that we as the church must do. We have to hear the words of Jesus. Now, 
Jesus said this. You all ready to take a little deep breath? Jesus, when he began his ministry, and I'm, I'm going um, to do something for you because that's not very big. So what I'm going to do is I am going to read it to you so that um, you can find it. Jesus, when he was, um, when he was um, being confirmed as a, as a you know, official voice to be heard, they asked him to read uh, out of, out of the, the Holy Scriptures. And Jesus picked up the book, and this was his declaration to the world as to what his main ministry would be. He read out of the book of Isaiah. He read the 61st chapter. He read verses 1 through 3. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is big. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. This was, this was Jesus's main mission. And then he sits down and he says, Today, today, these scriptures are brought to realization to you. Now, the reason why I wanted you all to, to, to read that or to, to get that is because these words are way deeper than what we've learned to scan. The words are much deeper than we've learned to scan. And I believe they speak to a people who still exist amongst us. So Jesus's mission, did it get accomplished? And if it didn't, is his expectation that we finish it. See here, when you say the spirit of the Lord, when Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me, all right, so that, that moves to an emotional thing. You know, you feel that. But then he says he's been anointed. Now that goes beyond emotions. Now that goes to sanction. That goes to that goes to a, a, uh, a directive, a commissioning. And the anointing is only given to accomplish something, right? So the reason why I have a problem with people who say that they're anointed and they ain't doing nothing. <laughs> I, the reason why I have a problem with that is because it's like, what, why are you, what, anointed, what? You know, anointing comes to do something. Some of us are anointed and not doing nothing. And my question is, what have you been anointed for? Here, Jesus says exactly what he's been anointed to do. And it's to go to this disenfranchised group. And the reason why I like uh, Pastor Lance, the reason why I like it is because 
he, he was, he was, he was, now he's a preacher, right? My mama told me, <clears throat> uh, son, you, you're a teacher. Like, I think it's a difference. But I like your preaching. <laughs> that, that's real good. It's what I want to do. But teaching is kind of like what I end up doing. So if you all would bear with me for the next 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to put another preacher before you real soon, okay? <laughs> but here Jesus says that this group of people of disenfranchised, this, this group that's been relegated to, to some other place in society, um, the, the, the other scriptures and, and the other, um, the other, uh, the other um, translations says that he's been sent to the poor, right? Now, that poor and, 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 uh, and these, these words are deeper again. It means that these people are not poor just by way of bad decisions that they've made that landed them in poverty. No, 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 no. This group of people that's being discussed here is a group of people who have been made poor through systemic processes and judicial officials who realize or believe that if everybody's given an opportunity of equal standards that their group would somehow not be as privileged as they would like for them to be. And that's where Jesus says, I'm coming. Okay, not to expostulate too long upon this matter, then Jesus starts to do something else. And what he starts to do is he starts to tell this story. Um, you can go to the next slide. He starts to tell this story of this good Samaritan. That's what we call him, a good Samaritan. So what he starts to do, what Jesus starts to do, is he wants to change the narrative of what people have castigated upon this banished group. He, he has to change the narrative. So what he does is he tells a story. We call it a parable these days. But he says that there was a man who fell amongst thieves. This is, uh, this is Luke, the 10th chapter. Start at verse 30, goes through 36, but I like 37 too. But he says, there's this fellow who falls amongst thieves, and when he falls amongst these thieves, they leave him for dead. Now this is big, because there's a group of people who fell amongst thieves. Let that sink in for me. <laughs> so there's a group of people who fell amongst thieves. And were left for dead. Jesus says, there's this dude who by no no fault of his own. He wasn't, he didn't, we, he didn't deserve this, but he fell amongst thieves. And when he was left for dead, there was a Levite. who was the representation 
of the people of God who saw this person and Jesus says he crossed the street and went around him and passed by the other way. Now, that's pretty important. That's a pretty big statement. You all got to understand that where Samaria was, the actual location of Samaria, Samaria was between two big cities. And people who would try to get from one city to the other, what they had started doing was crossing the river to go around Samaria so that they didn't go through it. This was, this was Jesus talking. I'm telling you, Jesus was a pretty phenomenal person. He was, he was really, really good at what he did. Like today, he might be bigger than Billy Graham. No, I'm serious. If he was living today, he might have more fame and notoriety than him. And that's pretty big because... I don't know nobody who can say that. <laughs> like, woo. But Jesus would probably, he would, I don't know. And Jesus is saying, he's making the analogy with one person, but he's saying, you know, the second story is, you all, does this sound familiar? That you're going around a city to not deal with a people? And these people ain't done nothing to you? Right? So here he keeps with the story and he says that, uh, that, they, that, that these people passed by. But there was a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan understood what it means to be banished. For, for no, no fault of your own, he... He understood, she, she understood that this, this has nothing to do with the person. This now has everything to do with me. This, this, this case now shows me who I am, not who, not who this person is. And that's very important, too. We got to recognize this whole story, you all, is being told, right? Um, so when you, when you, when you see this, um, Jesus is telling this story for one reason. Somebody asked him, <laughs> right, but before they ask him who was the neighbor, that it says that the, Lord, the, the, the lawyer uh, or the, you know, the person who was, who was inquiring of Jesus asked how they could get to heaven. <laughs> they wanted eternal life. And Jesus hinges your eternal existence off of how you treat the dude on the side of the road. He also, he, he didn't just stop there. He also had another story out. They say Jesus told it about rich man Dives and poor man Lazarus. It's kind of similar, real similar. You know, when you look at the story, but rich man Dives, you know, he lived so well. Right? The poor man was eating Crumbs or desiring crumbs from the rich man's table. Y'all understand how that works. The Bible says that poor man Lazarus had sores and wounds and was basically down. So much so until the dogs for medical attention came and licked his wounds. 
Look at, look at who Jesus says is, is doing this. Dogs. Dogs. No, he's saying no human. Came to Lazarus? Hey. That's big. So, so I, I'll just do one story because you know there's a lot of stories in the Bible that tries to push us in the right direction. And some of us, um, we probably haven't read them like I, like I read them. And, uh, and, and here Jesus is saying that this Samaritan goes, pays the dude's fare, and, and makes sure that if there's anything else he could do, he does it. Now, I spent a long time there because, we, we'll go to the next slide. Um, somebody asked a question, and they said it this way. They said, if there was a man who had a nine-inch knife in his back, and somebody came over and pulled the knife out three inches, would you consider that progress? If, hey, is that progress? If you say yes, please don't help me. <laughs> don't help me. Don't, don't help me. <laughs> Your help is not what I'm asking for right now. Right? Would you suffice it to say to pull the knife all the way out is progress? Think about it. With the knife in, he may not be bleeding as bad. With the knife out, he may be bleeding now so profusely until you just speeded the process up. So the question of progress only has now to do with what happens next. You, you got to keep going in order for that to be progress toward helping and healing, which Jesus came to do, by the way. Yeah. So now you got to get the knife out, but now you got to address the wound. You got to be able to mend broken vessels, arteries. You got to be able to Get in there deep, and your hands are going to be bloody from a nine-inch wound. Right? Okay. So if it's mended, is that progress? Not necessarily. It all has to do with what? You do next. Yeah, because, you know, all kind of infections can, can set in. Um, um, if the loss of blood has been too much and we don't replenish blood, there's a problem there. You, I mean, like, you gotta, you gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. Come on. Do, do y'all understand that this problem with racial relations and the church is that although things have been talked about, maybe, we, we gotta keep going in Intentionally. Yes. 
That's the reason why I love uh, this apostolic voice in the, in the person of Bishop Russell. Because we, we meet um, with a group and, and like everybody in the group can talk and say stuff. But when he talks, it's like, and we're listening. Because we understand that what he's saying and what he's doing is moving us along. Like we want to solve a problem. But I see Pastor Russell, Bishop Russell, continuing come on. the path. The reason why he asked me to come here today, man, I'm, 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 I'm befuddled because what this young whippersnapper got to say about race relations, and I wasn't even born till the 70s. After the 60s, like after May, everything happened in the 60s. I don't think we had any racial discussions since, since like, I've been alive. But he sees that that could be the biggest problem and the reason for regression as opposed to progression. So then we got to ask this question, and I'll be out of your way. I'll give you some time back. We got to ask these questions. What then, Pastor Ramon, are you asking us in this room to do? In order for there to be real change is there's, there's, five, there's five things that has to happen. The first thing that has to happen, and these you can write down and just kind of play them over in your mind during the course of your week. And when you're working with people who happen to be um, maybe, you know, of a different racial um, uh, ethnicity than you, you know, just kind of play these over in your mind, especially if they're black. Give them another chance. And um, <laughs> everybody got problems, right? Okay. <laughs> like, you got to give everybody. But, but, but think over these things. Think over these things. There are five things that has to be done in order for us to be the church that God is calling for. The first thing is we got to recognize. We got to recognize that there is a thing. We got to recognize there's a problem. That's, you know. You cannot reconcile what you have not recognized. It's just, it's just, that's just it. You, there's no way you're going to be able to fix what you won't realize is a problem. So that's the first thing we got to do. We got to know that in the church, there are divisions. Church Sundays are still the most segregated day of the week. It's, it's, it's still that way. And if we don't realize that's a problem, we are, we are not pulling it. We're, we're, not, we're not pulling our weight as a generation of intelligent people. Okay? The next thing is you have to resist. You have to resist. The next thing is you have to repent. The fourth thing is you have to repair. And the fifth and final thing that you got to do is repeat. I'm going to go over these, you know, like, like go into it just a little bit so we can get an understanding of what, what all this means. So uh, we go back. We'll go, we'll go back. I was, just, I was just giving them the five so that they can go over it during the course of the week. All right? So you guys got those? So the first thing you got to do is you got to realize, recognize that there's a problem. When you realize that there's a problem, now, the realization of a problem is not some epiphany that you have and you wake up in the morning and you get ready to say, oh, I realize we got a race issue problem, so now let's resist it. That's, 
that's not realizing. That's not recognizing. What you got to realize and recognize is what happened. What, what, what is the problem? What happened? You got to know what happened. You got to listen to people tell you what happened, their story, the, 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 the you know, the things that have caused, the things that have caused people to be, you know, uncomfortable. You got to understand it. You got to give people time to tell you what happened. Don't run over it. We got to, we got to fix this. No, you got to listen. This is the first thing. And, and, um, so, so um, one of the hardest things for people to do in our society is listen. It's true. The reason why so many marriages are not working is because everybody's talking and nobody wants to listen. And in this relationship, you're going to have to hear people talk about what happened to them. And I'm not going to tell you. That's not what we're going to do in here today. I'm not here to, you know, yeah, they took my grandfather and they kicked it. Yeah, that's, that's not what this is. But when somebody starts to tell you their story, you don't know their story. You can't, you can't whitewash it or blanket it. Oh, yeah, all black people have been through some more. All Hispanic people have been through. You can't do that. Listen to their story, right? That's the recognition that this person has identified this as a problem in their psyche. Let me say this. I'm going to throw this in there and then we're going to move on. Listen, there's this thing they call PSTD. You ever heard of it? Like a lot of guys from the military, they have these things um, that have happened to them in their past and they have a difficult time moving on and a lot of them won't even tell you what exactly it is. It's too difficult. And they can't walk you through every day or they feel like it's too much to try to walk you through every day of what their life was, right? But can I tell you something? That was for them a window of time. But I will submit to you a group of people who have been enslaved for 400 years could potentially have a chronic case of PSTD. And the reason why a whole community of them seem to have similar characteristics could be that they're a group of mentally challenged people who have not had an opportunity to tell their story. And they're hurting, and they want to be better. But nobody will listen. I digress. I'm just saying. That could be, that could be some of the problem. So listening, recognizing, hearing. I mean, when you think, now there are pastors in the room. Can I just ask how many pastors we actually have in this room? I just want to see. All right. Do you have a large group of African-American people in your church? Probably not. I'll tell you this. You could. Because black people love white folks. Take it from me. (laughs) And, And I ain't joking. Black people really love white people. There would be no way there would be absolutely no way we would be able to not love you and treat you all the way we do. We go to your jobs. We beg for those jobs. We work for low wages. And we go home and make do to come back and do it again. You know, and it's been for years and centuries. We love white people. We look at 
white people's shows on TV every day from, from uh, Seinfeld to uh, what's the swimming show? What's the swimming one? You know, where the, it's everybody swimming, it's just swimming people. Um, Baywatch, you know, like, yeah. We, we love white culture. We love what America is. We love it. I'm telling you, I know black people. And the biggest problem black people have is why don't white people like us? I mean, seriously, they like, man, why they don't like us? That's the problem. So I'm saying to you, as pastors and as people in the community, if you change and allow the narrative to be changed and stop listening to people about black culture doesn't like white culture or whatever, you know, that bl blacks are the biggest problem to the society. If, if, you, if you would just allow the narrative in your mind to be changed, you would be able to see life through a different set of glasses and you would see this group of people really are not the problem. The problem is not any group of people. The problem is the devil. Yeah, that's, 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 we got to get there, especially as a church. People, a group of people has got to stop being the problem. It's got to be the group of demons and satanic forces. We got to change the narrative. Are we together? Black people love singing. Did you all know that? Um, okay. um, Jesse Duplantis, you all ever heard of him? Man, he talks, he talks, well, he talks this thing better than I've heard in a long time. And this is what he said. He says, this group of people he grew up with, talking about black people, he grew up with black people. He knows that what the story is is not true. He knows. What he says was, what group of people do you know could go through four years of, of 400 years of hell and damnation the way these people have, and they still get up in front when it's time to praise God and sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, like, like he gets that these people don't hate the way another group would like for you to believe. I want to say that. And I want to keep putting that over because once you realize, then you can help with the resistance. Let me tell you, the reason why black people are not slaves on plantations anymore is because of y'all. <laughs> black people had no power or franchises to do that. Y'all did that. It was a group of people who realized this is not right. That's simple. Black people didn't have no guns and all that. No. And we still don't. I don't tell y'all this. They might have a 45 or something like that. It ain't in their name. And they couldn't get another one. I'm telling you. The dudes who they keep showing you are not your problem. I'm trying to tell you. I've been in the, I've been in the hood. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, right? In the hood. I graduated 1990 from McKenzie High School with Jerome Bettis, the bus. Y'all ever heard of him? Yeah. We know the streets. All that. We know it. But let me tell you, dudes are not walking around the neighborhood with AK-47s the way that they're making y'all believe it. They don't have submachine guns. And if they cut off a, a shotgun, it was their granddaddy's shotgun that's been passed down through so many years that it might ricochet and backfire in their own face. They are not your problem. I just want you all, I want to help you change the narrative. But it was white people who understood 
that we are going to, if we help, we can be doing the work of Jesus and not continuing a level of stupidity that should have never started in the first place. That's what happened. So you had freedom riders. You all ever see that, um, see those shows and the people are getting off the bus and they're getting plummeted and beat? Do you all want to know that there were more Caucasian people on those buses, most of them, than blacks? Because the black people were scared to get on the bus. So you would get spotting black people, right? But you would have droves of whites who knew the voice of God and knew that this was an important part of their salvation, uh, their, their salvation walk. And that it was time for them, just like Jesus, to stand up and say, today, you see the realization of this prophecy. So I say to you, that you can become a part of the resistance when you've recognized what the real problem is. We'll go to the next one. And then what has to happen is a real earnest repentance. Now, you gotta, you, you, you can't, you can't uh, here it says, don't cast blame to someone else in past generations and ex- ancestors and bad people in the world. Don't cast the blame off on them. In, Take it. Just say, hey, look, yeah, it, it, it was a bad system, and I am benefiting from it, and I don't even want to. You all, you're benefiting from it, and it's unintentional. But you are benefiting. And no, we're not saying, you know, Take all your savings and give it to the black people and the Hispanic people and the Native Americans. No, that's not, what's, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is realizing that you've been given a resource that you can help. Again, you've been given a resource that you can use to help. I'll say it again because some people looking like, what? You've been given a resource that you could use to help. This story that Jesus was telling, he's telling the people who has something to help. Not, Not go find the thieves and get beat up so you could feel like you one of them. That's not what he was telling them. He was saying, but at least use your resources, your power, your influence. Man, you're a preacher. You you, you should be up here saying all this stuff. Man, that's what Jesus was saying. Use it for good. You've been given an opportunity that your name could be written, listen, ladies and gentlemen, in the Lamb's Book of Life. Based on your ability to identify with the work and message and real ministry of Jesus. And then it's about repairing. So you can actively seek ways to enhance the lives of those in your congregations and in your church surroundings. When your church has a feeding system and it's not based on who's being fed. I'll say it again, because some people, if they, if they came last week, you're not going to let them come. No, no, you should have stretched your food out. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's just help people. Let's literally, or, or how can I say this? Let's seriously get involved in just helping people. That's it. And when we can do that, We start repairing, you know, we start repairing things that were broken. And there's centuries of hurt. I just want you all to know, there's centuries of hurt. But there's only one generation that's alive. I mean, you know, 
this, this is, you can't go back and fix that. But if you do your stuff in your time, you continue the process of healing. Do you all understand how that works? You know, America went into Germany and towed it up. Y'all know that, don't you? Flat tow it up. You want to know Germany is one of the thriving um, metropolises in the world today? Like, I mean, they major industry. Ah, la, la, la. Why? Because they didn't leave it like that. And it didn't get repaired the year after. But it's been a system of more support, you know, more industry being more trade and da 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 and then the next thing you know you got a thriving place again you can't do it by yourself but we can do it together Amen. the last thing is this and i'll 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 uh, i'm done the next thing and the last thing is you got to repeat the process so pastors in our pulpits we have to tell the story and it's tough because I realize that there's some people in our pews who don't understand the importance of the realization process. And they don't want to hear it. But it's still on you. You got to tell it. And then you got to teach it. You got to teach the lessons that came out from these, these things that happened. And there were a lot of lessons. I'm talking about more than the Harriet Tubman lesson, more than the Frederick Douglass lesson. But there was some, there was some freedom, freedom, um, what is it, um, freedom rider lessons. And there was some, there was some, uh, there was some, uh, shucks, some, some, uh, um, there was some um, emancipation proclamation lessons. There, I mean, th this is really a good story, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is a story of resilience if we continue. It's a story of promise if we don't stop. And so in our church, and, and, and the church is the only place that it can really happen. The church is the only place where it can really happen. And then we got to touch those who are hurting. So the three T's with the repent or, or the repeat. It's what we got to remember. Tell, teach, and then touch. I digress. I thank you for your time. I pray that what has happened in this room today, for some is the first step. For others, it's a second, third, fourth, fifth step. And for others, it's a refreshing next step. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the time and opportunity that you've given us to talk about something that we feel is next to your heart. God, we ask that while we are in this room and while we are amongst each other, that we will think of ways and opportunities that we can tell others and share the story of Jesus Christ with those who are stuck in a social and civic thought process. God, help us to move from this place to the next, knowing that you are our guide and it is you who we are following. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.